0: Welcome to San Diego News Fix, The Backstory. This is a weekly bonus episode to our daily podcast, which our subscribers get early access to. I'm Luis Cruz. Every week, we're giving you a behind the scenes look at our industry and how decisions in our newsroom are made. Today, we'll be talking with some of my colleagues about the challenges of covering public meetings, rallies, and other events where misinformation is aired. Joining me today is Union Tribune News Editor David Clary. David is also head of our UT Language Committee, local section editor and readers rep Adrian Vore, growth and development reporter Jennifer Vangrove, criminal justice and legal affairs reporter Greg Moran, And we begin with editor and publisher, Jeff Light. Jeff?
1: Yeah, thank you, Luis. Um, Today I wanted to uh, uh, sort of recapture the magic of a conversation that we had in the newsroom earlier this week around this issue of uh, disinformation. And um, I had asked David Clary, uh, who's the head of our Standards and Usage Committee, to look at how we handle uh, false information that uh, is part of the public uh, the public conversation. So and this arose from a specific story where um, where where one of our reporters had covered the county supervisors. and this passage was in the story. I'm just going to read it. it. says during that meeting, supervisor Joel Anderson falsely referred to care. As a terrorism associated associated organization. So that that was uh, caught my attention because I felt like that characterization falsely referred to CARE as a terrorism associated organization was uh, potentially problematic. And it it was this uh, the backdrop on this is that CARE the um, uh, Arab uh, uh, rights group was named um, as an undated co-conspirator in a 2007 case, I wanna say, uh, about funding of Hamas, uh, the Middle Eastern group that's characterized as a terrorist organization by by a number of countries. And uh, the case is pretty old, and uh, CARE was not uh, uh, charged or named or or indicted in any way. And in fact, that trial ended in a mistrial. So um, there's a lot of strong feeling and I guess uh, a good argument to say that CARE is certainly not a terrorist organization. But that wasn't what was said here. You know, it was a little vague terrorists associated. And so I just felt like to simply flatly say that this was a false statement seemed insufficient, and yet to not uh, uh, um, to not handle the the substance of that question in any way also seemed wrong to me. So I was looking for what is it that we're supposed to do, and that led to this greater conversation about misinformation. Uh, and so I to, I, I guess, just turn to to Dave Clary and uh and ask Dave you know did,
2: what what did,
1: what are your thoughts here what did you hear in the newsroom conversation and then we can get into it with some of the participants
2: yes yeah, so our um, committee uh, has been talking about this for months and we decided we thought it'd be uh, beneficial to have a newsroom forum about these topics uh, because they are complicated um, these are topics uh, these are issues that reporters and editors deal with every day. Um, so, what, what, what I mean, we had like about forty people uh, participate, or at least attend, and many people participated. So that was terrific uh, to get such a uh, such a wide uh, level of participation. I think what people uh, we really wanted to hear from uh, reporters: um, what what do they do when they have to cover a rally, or, or they have they have to cover you know extremist groups? How do they? How they convey what was said at a public meeting and, you know, and, 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 and convey it fairly, but but also not provide a megaphone for extreme rhetoric, you know, or, or misinformation. Uh, That's it, We had some reporters um, talk about uh, covering anti-vaccine rallies, you know, where, where some people will claim that the covid vaccine is has resulted in tens of thousands of deaths and injuries. Uh, how do, and, and there, there is a, a line to be drawn between uh, statements that are made by a public official or a public figure, and then and then statements that are made by sort of a, a random person that goes to a rally or is quoted in a story, or goes to a public meeting. So we discussed a lot of that by trying to decide, you know, what what views do we include in the story, and and what sources are are credible, you know. And I and I think what we've what we've you know we've we've covered lots of stories about the the 2020 election and the aftermath of that um and there has been a concern in journalism circles about uh you know this undermining of democracy that's that that's happening and uh i think it, i think there's a sense in journalism circles and newsrooms and academic circles that you know we're entering a new level of, of misinformation you know i think we, i think with the online world uh Misinformation is spread so so easily and that it, w- it wasn't 20 years ago or even 10 years ago. And we've seen we've seen that with uh, this this sort of extreme rhetoric seems to get the most attention, you know, online. And and so we're we you know I think as a, as a newsroom we're always kind of fighting against that. So um, so you know th- these are I think everybody in the newsroom tries so hard, and and you can hear it in in what people said on Tuesday is that they really try hard to. It's, it's challenging to decide what voices do you include in the story and and when do you not include certain voices, you know, because we want to re- represent what happened at an event, but we also don't want to, like I said before, we, we don't want to, we don't want the UT to, to, to provide a megaphone for bad information. And there was some discussion as to how do we do that? You know, we we include a person's comments, maybe we don't quote them directly, but we do include kind of what they say, and then, we, and then if it's something that's clearly wrong you know if someone says the 2020 election was was a fraud and you know we can easily say well there's there is no evidence that there is any uh any fraud that 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 would uh call the election into question so but like jeff said there are some assertions that are made that are not so easily uh black and white not so easily to say 100 they are incorrect or wrong so that's that's where uh you know, that's where the challenge is, or one of the challenges is.
1: Well, let me just pick up on, you know, one one of the basic things you just said, you know, what, what do we include and what don't we include? And, and Greg, uh, uh, um, I, I think you were active in that conversation. You know, what were your thoughts on how do we parse that?
3: Um, I, I think, uh, you know, I took kind of a, a sort of a maybe sharper line, which was a really kind of a larger contextual line, which was, I think, yeah, we have to, um, you know, make sure that we're reflecting the, what happened. That's, that's our first job. We're in the nature of, you know, plain speaking and uh, describing what happened and collecting facts and putting them out there. But, uh, kind of my thing was that I think things are, are qualitatively different now, uh, for a mm. lot of reasons. And they have been in, in certainly in my life, um, You know, we were talking a little bit before about the Bush Gore race, and that how, you know, afterwards a significant number of Democrats did not think Bush had won. uh, As now there are a lot of people who think Biden didn't win, but I think there's a qualitative difference there, which is that the Democratic people didn't march on the Capitol and try to, you know, stop the uh, thing, and they and they on some level accepted the legitimacy of the Bush government and the transfer of power. So given those stakes, my thing was like. I think it's our obligation as plain speaking, fact-driven chroniclers to when somebody says a lie to, to call it in the columns of the news of the news, uh, publications, you know, a lie. Uh, I just think that there is uh, uh, such a strong anti-democratic movement, small D uh, foot in the country. Um, we are a part of the, the, the objects or the targets of that movement. Uh, I think, as important as it is for us to describe what people said, we also have to be brave and courageous and describe if what they said is not just wrong, but maliciously wrong, which is a lie. Yeah,
1: super interesting. I remember you and I actually having a conversation. There was an event uh, 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 like a Stop the Steel rally. Was planned. Yes, and I was like, "Oh man, yeah, these things are going on. Look at what's happening in Washington." This was before the insurrection. Uh Greg, I think you should go by. And and Greg said, "I don't know if I should go by because, like, and I, I mean, I- it was an interesting conversation because I thought your point was uh, was was was, uh, was was profound." You said, "Like Jeff, the whole." The only news that's happening here is a group is getting together purposefully to attract media's attention to spread an untruth. In what way can I, Greg, go there as a reporter and and do my job in service of the truth? It's really difficult. And um, I uh, I felt like, well, yeah, but, you know, what if uh, what if 10,000 people come? Would it be news then? What if there's violence? Would there be news then? You know all these hypotheticals. You know, and 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 Greg was saying, yeah, but like, how does the fundamental dynamic of what's happening there change at all? No matter how many people come, I thought that was pretty fascinating. That conversation.
3: Yeah, I remember I felt pretty strongly about that. I thought, why are we giving the imprimatur of truth or or veracity to people? I mean, I think I said, you know, if there if there are 150 people gathering to say you know, the earth is flat or nobody ever landed on the moon, things that we demonstrably know not to be true, we wouldn't go there. Um, and, uh, you know, now if there's violence or if 10,000 people show up, that that's a different story by virtue of the violence or something like that. But, but or even
1: the scale, isn't that weird? Like
3: Scale, uh, maybe. A,
1: a certain level of disinformation we can ignore, and probably it is the right thing to ignore a tremendous amount of disinformation somehow seems in my mind this might not be correct to become newsworthy and our obligation to cover
3: yeah well, i don't even know if i'd buy that i
1: would yeah, just yeah. say me, there's let, also let jen van grove jump in jen
4: i mean in not covering it you're also kind of feeding into the narrative that we as the you know mainstream media choose to turn our back on people that we don't agree with so You know, there's already that perception that we are, you know, completely um, insular. We speak to ourselves, of ourselves. We do not reflect necessarily, you know, multiple points of view. And so whether or not, you know, with that stop the steal rally, I I have no idea how many people showed up. I don't know if they actually intended that to be covered by the Union Tribune, but in in explicitly stating that we're not going to cover it, we are... You know, I, I don't know, kind of drawing a weird line in the sand, like the fact that it takes place, is it newsworthy? It it might be, depending on, you know, how tied it is to current events. Um, and you know, to kind of assume that our readership can't make their own decisions based on, you know, truth and other facts that are out there, like that's you know, seems to discredit them as well. So I I don't think it's as simple as saying we shouldn't cover it because they're wrong. I think there's certainly a lot more to it than that.
1: Certainly, uh, there's a lot more to it. And, like, I think um, maybe a more nuanced example is the vaccine debate, right? So, um, there are people of many different minds and of many different backgrounds and with different motives. All uh, who might share in common, they haven't been vaccinated, and uh, um, you know, we uh, part of that conversation was about covering the anti vaxxers and I thought you, you made some good points, Jan, about the sort of the, the the perils of labeling groups, right, and, and painting with a broad brush. I, I don't know if you have well, you want to share your thoughts there.
4: Yeah, I, I think it's just extremely dangerous to apply labels to people, Um, especially since I think reporters are often approaching stories from their own ideological perspective and background. You know, I've taken uh, the opportunity to, I don't wanna say expose myself to different opinions, uh, uh, you know, on that topic. But I think, you know, people have their own motivations for making decisions and to call somebody anti vax for not wanting to take the COVID-19 vaccine is a little bit dehumanizing um, and discredits, you know, some of the very real concerns that they might have, whether it's, you know, Safe for them, safe for their children. Whether it's being forced upon them by an, a, their employer, whether it's being forced on them for travel, where you know the, the aspect that they're pushing back against isn't the vaccine itself, but it's you know what they perceive as you know tyrannical government or you know companies kind of overstepping uh, their their responsibilities. So there's so much more to the conversation than are they anti-vax, that's, that's not the conversation that they're actually having if we're listening to them. There are certainly people who are anti-vax and we can make that distinguishment when we're, or we can make that clear when we're writing about that topic. I, I don't know that we always need to apply the label. And I think the same thing goes with misinformation, disinformation. I hate those words because we're accepting those words as you know essentially being given to us by tech companies and the government, and what is what is disinformation, misinformation? What does that even entail? I think we're lumping so many things into those categories that are complex and nuanced, and rightfully deserve discussion. In you know, in San Diego's paper of record, are mm-hmm. you know. yeah, it's what super do,
1: interesting. You know, I oh, I'm sorry, Greg. Let me just. Uh, I was, I was gonna wondering. say,
3: I mean, but but then what do you call them? I mean, what do you call? I mean, the, the, if you're not, if you don't want to take the vaccine, you're against the vaccine. You're against you're against, the if vaccine, you don't want to take right? the
4: COVID-19 vaccine, you're against the COVID-19 vaccine. And that, that's what you say. This person does not want to take the vaccine or they have strong opinions about taking the vaccine. Like, it's very simple to me. I don't think it takes extra words to describe them. I just we did. Did. <laughs> well, I mean, two extra words like anti-vax is so like that label comes with. It gives a whole portion of the population an excuse to deride everything that person has said when you label them anti vax. That and that's sure. the danger. And we use those labels all the time. And, and I don't think, you know, I think there's people who feel so strongly and, you know, what they're reporting that they don't see the danger in that. But I read those stories and I immediately feel sad. I feel disappointed in how we've approached a topic, and I feel we are dis—we are not being honest in some ways. And you know, just like there is this concerted effort in the company to be diverse, to take diversity very seriously, diversity of thought should also be lumped into that category.
1: Yeah, I think the use of labels is a, a whole other podcast because it—it uh, uh, it, it is uh a, a tool that typically we as people use to marginalize groups or ideas and yeah we do have to be super super i mean the same
4: that. goes for the less like um you know hot topic of like nimby versus yimby i don't i wouldn't use those labels in my reporting because it makes somebody look better than somebody else just simply like calling somebody a nimby is pejorative and, you know, why would I use that label, whether or not, you know, if somebody is, a, uh, is part of a YIMBY group or a NIMBY group, then certainly the label applies.
1: Yeah, I think like that, you know, the other thing that I've noticed is uh, uh, the, the the sort of public interest in this, in these information wars has really gotten very heightened. And so I get a lot of emails from people of uh, sort of at Polar Extremes uh, who, uh are super sensitive to uh what you know issues of what I would call the information war like i you know i was just mentioning yesterday i had a note from from some reader who uh um was pointing to uh, the latest story on the Hunter biden tax problems in which uh there was a new york times story and i think there was a, a washington post uh, or a political uh Reporter's book that had come out actually last fall, they pointed out, yeah, some of these emails that were on the Hunter Biden laptop actually were Hunter Biden's emails, um, and, and the writer had said to me, you know, you guys pass this off as Russian propaganda, and I tried to find where we had passed it off as Russian propaganda in the New Tribune. I don't, I don't think we did do that, uh, but but this topic of who's winning the propaganda war seems to have really risen to the top of uh, readers' uh, concerns, or some readers, more so even than just being informed. You know, the people seem very concerned about what they think other people will think. So, Adrian, is the reader's representative? I, I'm just wondering about the temperature of this debate and your correspondence with our readers.
5: Yeah, it, um, I will tell you this, that surprisingly, I think it has diminished since, uh, since the election. Hmm. That between 2016 and 2020 i would get a lot of comments um about uh the national political stories you ran which in our case would of course be by the new york times and washington post and associated press and many people uh disagreeing with those and saying that they're untrue or that they're biased that was the biggest one that they were biased um but it one of the areas that, that um kind of goes back years when i was uh, even a letters editor was I, uh, I ran a letter about um, climate change. It was a reader who didn't agree with climate change. And I thought, I go, you know, I'm going to run it. I'm going to run it because I think readers should know that this exists. This, this people out there think like this in, in some cases. I got so many letters just chastising me for running this at all. So many readers were saying, like, why did you run that? You, you shouldn't be running that at all. Uh, and I was sort of torn by this. Like I was, I was like, but I think that we should say this. This thought exists, um, and so I know I felt okay with it. Um, the other one that I've got is um, from readers: is is comparing. They they'll say you need to present both sides. And the one that comes to mind with this was that we were not running stories about uh, Sydney Powell's press conferences that she was holding. Um, you know, before January 6th. Um, and and I, this one reader said, you know, you shouldn't you present both sides? And I, I looked and and by gosh, you know, New York Times, Washington Post, the Associated Press were not covering these press conferences. I wasn't seeing anything on it. And so I figured, well, the reason they weren't covering them because it was, it was untrue what she was saying. Um, but then I was torn by this idea of presenting both sides. Should we present both sides? It, like in the case of Sidney Powell, um, you know, I, I just, I don't think in some cases we should, frankly. Um, uh, and then there was another, if I can just share this with you, this was a letter I got from a reader and t- she was very, uh, it was very, uh, well thought, well thought out this letter. And she said, um, she was complaining about us giving a lot of press to loud these, these bombastic groups that, um, don't want uh, the COVID vaccine. Okay. So she says in this letter, she goes, finally, when a person offers testimony in a public hearing that is not based on facts, it should be noted in the context of a news report. I'm referring to the woman and child who are not vaccine candidates due to their compromised immunity. The woman applied the county is forcing them to be vaccinated, which is not true. But your reporter did not raise that fact in her report. You just ran along with the woman's false and misleading narrative. Um, that one I shared with the editor on that story. But That brings up another issue. Do we note this or do we use it at all? I think that we should use this to, to tell the reader, this is what was going on at this meeting. This was a person who was speaking during the public comment period. But at the same time, I feel that we should point out that this person was an error, if indeed they were, and it's a clear-cut error. It's like, no, that is just not true. So, um, you know, I, I'm kind of more on the side with this of, of pointing out an error, but um, readers are, are sensitive to this, and they seem to be more sensitive toward not noting an error. That, that, that That's what they seem to be sensitive about, at least from what I get, I gather from being the reader's rep.
1: Yeah, I think you've touched on a bunch of stuff there. And, and yeah. uh, uh, one of the things that I heard in there that I, I guess I think we should address before we wrap up, and maybe uh, Greg might have some thoughts on this, is, uh, you know, both both sideism. Like, you know, listening to that story, and I might not have captured the whole, uh, the whole uh, uh, detail of what actually happened, but running a letter from somebody just simply saying climate change is untrue, um, I'm not sure that that, Oh, really is journalistic, Greg. You know, talked a little bit about this uh, problem that you you were was the theme of your first commentary here about like not everything is uh, equivalent.
3: Yeah, uh, I, I think you know uh, I think there's the the other way I have to look at it is, is kind of from the other end of it. A lot of these things, uh, the the news conferences or the rallies, are, are done in kind of a premeditated way to exploit our, uh, frankly, our fear of being accused of being biased and and using that kind of judo thing against us to get the, the message out in, into a, a larger, you know, we do still have a pretty good reach. I don't have a problem turning uh, our back on people who are demonstrably and verifiably peddling Untruths and misinformation. I mean, I think that's frankly. But
4: your, dif- your definition not, of untruths and finished. misinformation are, is different from mine. So, you know, that's. So
3: then we print nothing or we print everything. I mean, we're paid to make judgments and we're paid to, to use our experience and our knowledge to make judgments on what is and what isn't. I mean, if we're to print everything that everyone says, sure, we can go to the Stop the Steal rally. But are they on the same plane as the the, the poor fellow downtown who's wandering up and down Broadway, you know, screaming about, Um, you know, the messages he's getting through the fillings in his teeth or whatever. I mean, mean, our
4: job is to record, you know, the newsworthiness of something that happens, right? So 20 years from now, if someone needs to look back and understand the entire climate, why, you know, why people were Mm -hmm. so divided, why the environment was so charged, they need to know that context. If we turn our back on people we disagree with, that context doesn't exist in the future. The history of today is distorted.
3: uh, you're conflating two different things. It's not people who we disagree with. It's people who are not telling the truth. Those are two different things. I, I talk to people I disagree with every single day and their, their views and their comments and their approaches get into the, into the stories and the columns I write. But I, but I don't spend my time talking to people who are not telling the truth. Those are two different things.
1: Well okay so you two have gotten at the nub of the question and I don't think we're going to resolve it here because it's uh, an important but subjective distinction. You know, going back to the original question that started this whole conversation the use of falsely referred to care as a terrorism associated organization. I mean, my take was I feel like falsely in that story creates a little bit of a problem in that it it, it doesn't it's it's not 100% correct to say that his statement is false. But I would also say the inverse, you know that CARES history is completely unblemished, that's also not correct. So like for me, I I would prefer to see a little bit of a treatment, the extra words, of what is this all about? What is the guy talking about when he says that? What are the actual facts? It's a little more uh, nuanced. Whereas this label of falsely or without substantiation, which has become a a tool, is such a shortcut that's got a lot of the challenges that maybe Jen is talking about. But there's also the challenge of, you know, things, falsehoods repeated, uh, uh, repeating falsehoods does give them uh, credibility in in a way. And uh, the intent in using that language is to immediately marry this idea of it's not true, uh, to the to the to the uh, to the lie itself, as opposed to waiting and explaining. So, I guess I just want to get back to you, Dave Clary. You're going to have to make some rulings in this area and give us some guidance about what we're going to do at the Union Tribune. Uh, uh, in brief, how, how are you going to do that?
2: <laughs> yeah, that's so uh, it'll be really simple. Uh, no, I mean it's going to take a. I mean, like as we saw in our in this discussion here and in our forum uh, this week, I mean. You know, it's it's hard to just come up with here's here's what you do because every situation, every situation is different. I mean, I, I think we're, I think we are kind of drawing lines between you know when a public figure, a public official, somebody in power says something that's extreme or untrue. It, it's difficult to ignore when a president says something, or when a governor or a supervisor, or somebody who has a position of authority. Uh, but so if we decide, okay, we we need to represent, you know, what uh, what a public official, a public figure says. You know, we 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 also have to provide context and say, okay, this person said this, and what wants to do this, but here here's what here's what it, what really is uh, what we understand to be true. But yeah, I mean, the, like you say, that there are some there are some of these cases are are more gray, and it's not not as easy to just insert the word falsely and. And we have to be careful about you know kind of making these sort of summary judgments on on more you know more gray areas. So yeah, it's 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 you know our, our group will you know talk it through and you know we may have another another forum uh, to uh, kind of talk through sort of, sort of some of our recommendations uh, you know for for best practices. And so it, it, it'll be a it'll be a process, but um, you know it, it's it's really important. I mean these these are. These are questions that uh, reporters, editors, photographers uh, deal with every single day. You know, and, and it and, it's, uh, and it really goes to the core of you know, of what we do. And and you know, it's so it's 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 important. And uh, you know, we and this these conversations are very important for us to have.
1: Uh, okay, excellent. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to seeing uh, uh, simplicity out of this complexity. So when you have that, maybe you can come back and we can share it. <laughs> Uh, uh, Luis, why
0: don't you uh, take us out? All right. Thank you very much, Jeff. And thank you to the panel for this candid conversation. That does it for this special edition of San Diego News Fix. Don't forget to listen to San Diego News Fix with Christy Totten for an in-depth look at local stories making headlines throughout the week. You can find San Diego News Fix wherever you get your podcasts. For everyone at the San Diego Union Tribune, thank you very much for listening. Have a great day, everybody.